Resurrection from the dead leads to a moment of judgment, which then goes to life or eternal judgment. Jesus has the authority to be that judge, and that is a sobering reality. Welcome to A Better Word with Dr. Nick Gatsky, Senior Pastor of Old North Church in Canfield, Ohio. I'm your host, Brian Dolan. Today, we move along in our series called Two Ways to Live, where we examine the six aspects of the gospel. Before we get to today's specific message, Pastor, let's do a quick review of how far we've come in these six aspects of the gospel. Yeah, Brian, to this point in the series, we have worked through a number of these different aspects, and we see that there are two ways to live. You can either live under the rule and reign of God as our king, or you can live under your own rule in your own way. And we see that in the Bible expressed in that God is the ruler of the world. He made the world, and he made us to rule his good world, giving thanks and honor to him. We also see that we all reject God by running our own lives our own way. In that way, there's a rebellion that happens in each one of us against God as our king. And by rebelling against God's way, we damage ourselves, we damage each other, and we damage the world. The third part is that God is a God of justice, and he won't let us rebel against him forever. And there's a punishment for rebellion, and that punishment is death and judgment. And the fourth part is that God sent Jesus to die for us because of his love. And Jesus always lived under the rule of God. He didn't rebel like we did. But he took on our punishment by dying in our place. And so today we get to the Easter portion of it of sorts. The message is called Christ the Risen Ruler and Judge. So I'm assuming you're talking about him rising from the dead. Yeah, today is a message about resurrection. And I think the significance of this message is multifaceted because so often we think of the resurrection as having one or two important implications for us. But the resurrection is actually the key moment in human history. It's the defining moment of Christianity as a religion. And there are many important implications of what it means for us today. In fact, I've heard some argue that Easter ought to be more important than Christmas anyway, because it's so important in our salvation. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think you can definitely say that's true in some ways. And in other ways, Easter would have never happened if Christmas never happened. And so they're both great to celebrate. All right, let's get to it then. Here's part one of a message from Dr. Nick Gatsky called Christ, the Risen Ruler and Judge. There was a woman who looked outside of her front window and she saw her German shepherd shaking the life out of her neighbor's rabbit. Her family did not get along well with the next door neighbor and so this was going to be an absolute disaster. She grabbed a broom She pummeled the dog until it dropped the now extremely dead rabbit out of its mouth. She panicked. She didn't know what else to do. And so she grabbed the rabbit. She took it inside. She gave it a bath. She blow-dried its fur to its original fluffiness and then combed it until the rabbit was looking good. She snuck back into the next-door neighbor's yard and she propped the rabbit up against its cage and scurried back inside. About an hour later, she heard screams coming from next door and curiously opened the door and leaned out and said, what's going on over there? The neighbor cried out, our rabbit, our rabbit. 
He died two weeks ago and we buried him. (laughs) But now he's back. People know that dead rabbits tend to stay dead. People in the ancient world knew that dead rabbits tend to stay dead. And people in the ancient world knew that dead people stay dead. And that is why one scholar writes that there were many messianic movements in the first century. And in every single one of those stories, the would-be Messiah got crucified by the Romans, just as Jesus did. He goes on to write, in not one single case do we hear the slightest mention of the disappointed followers claiming that their hero had been raised from the dead. They knew better. Dead people stayed dead. No resurrected messiahs, except for one. The resurrection of Jesus is the most unique element of the Christian gospel. And it is world-changing in its effect. A couple of weeks ago, here at the church, we did an experiment in some of our adult Sunday school classes where people were asked to write down their definition of the gospel in a succinct form. Many of you were maybe part of that experiment. And it was interesting to see and to learn about what people said. The vast majority of folks who went through this exercise had many great elements of the gospel that they captured. But many people had the propensity to leave out two elements of the gospel. Those two elements, you might imagine, judgment and resurrection. And that's really interesting. The one thing that we should fear the most, judgment. And the one thing that changed the world completely, resurrection. The one thing that nobody likes to talk about, judgment. And the one thing we absolutely need to talk about, resurrection. That's really interesting because after Jesus rose from the dead and his disciples went out to the world to explain to them what had happened, it was those two things they seemed to talk about the most, judgment and resurrection. Many of us might be surprised to know that as the apostles who had seen the risen Lord went out to tell people about God's love that was displayed through his son Jesus, they proclaimed resurrection more than anything else. Most of us would assume that they would go out giving a message of Jesus' death. And most of us actually would say, if we were to summarize the gospel as succinctly as we could, we would say something like, Jesus died for our sins. But again and again and again, From town to town, place to place, people to people, the disciples went out, not with the message that Jesus died, but with the message that Jesus rose from the dead. And that's illustrated all throughout the New Testament in the book of Acts. I want to ask you to grab a Bible with me and open to the book of Acts. 
if you can keep up. This morning, you guys are going to get a lot of Bible from a lot of different places. But this message of judgment and resurrection, and specifically resurrection, is displayed in almost every single chapter of the book of Acts. I'm just going to illustrate it with a handful of them for you. Starting at the beginning in Acts chapter 2. Jesus rose from the dead. His disciples have seen him. There had been over 500 witnesses to his resurrection. The Holy Spirit is now being poured out on people and they're witnessing. And Peter in Acts chapter 2 stands up to preach and his message has a number of elements, including a core element of resurrection. He says in verse 224 this, God raised him, (laughs) loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Flipping forward a couple pages to Acts chapter 4, starting at verse 10. Let it be known to all of you and to all people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man was standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has now become the cornerstone. And at the end of chapter 4, verse 33, it gives a description of what the apostles were doing. It says, with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to what? They were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. If you move forward just another chapter to Acts chapter 5, verse 39 and on, Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. And then he gives the reason why. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at the right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and the forgiveness of sins. And we are the witness to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Why must we obey God? Because God raised Jesus from the dead. (laughs) Acts chapter 17, all the way as the book moves towards its conclusion, Paul now is preaching, and some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him, and they said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities. Why? Because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And the list goes on. In nearly every chapter in the book of Acts, there is at least mention of, if not explicit teaching to the fact that God raised Jesus from the dead. And this was the proclamation as the church went out. And the significance of this is important because the resurrection has many implications for us and for the world as a whole. And today we want to talk about three of them. One, which we often remember. And two, that we don't often think about. And they are this. The first implication of the resurrection is that because Jesus rose from the dead, you will too. (laughs) That's one that we often think about. The second implication is that when Jesus rose from the dead, he rose as the one who will judge. And the third implication is that when Jesus rose from the dead, 
he rose as the ruler of the world. And so let's take them one at a time, starting with because Jesus rose, we will too. Throughout the Bible, the idea of rising from the dead is taught for all humanity. This is far from the notion that you hear from many modern-day atheists that when you die, your existence just ceases. Some would have you believe that. But throughout the Bible, a resurrection of the dead is a common teaching. Jesus himself taught about this in a number of places, including in John chapter 11, when he is speaking with Martha regarding the death of her brother Lazarus. Martha, a good Jewish woman, also recognizes this coming resurrection. But she doesn't expect what Jesus is going to say. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been there, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God who is coming into the world. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the Apostle Paul picks up the idea of the resurrection of the dead and he relates it to Jesus' resurrection as well. And the whole chapter you see is this back and forth about people rising from the dead at the end of all things and Jesus' resurrection being the guarantee of that happening. And he says this in chapter 15, verse 20. He says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ shall all be made alive. Because Jesus rose, we will too. And for Jesus to be called the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep means two things. Number one, if he is the first fruits in his resurrection, that implies that there will be more fruits. <laughs> if there's a first, there's a second and a third and on down the line. But beyond that, for Jesus to be referred to as the first fruits of those who had fallen asleep upon his resurrection points to the fact that when he rose, he had a new kind of human life with a perfect body that would no longer be subject to weakness, no longer be subject to aging, no longer be subject to death. A body that would live eternally. Paul says that all we be made alive in this way, just as Christ was made alive. Now, there's a lot of implications there to unpack, but let's just focus on the plain implication, which is this. Jesus' resurrection and being the first fruits of the perfect body also means that you will receive a perfect resurrection body as well. Now, if you don't think about that too deeply or if you just kind of sit back and look at that from a distance, 
that might not have so great an impact on you. But the older you get, the more the idea of a resurrection body becomes a longing for you. This means that the constant pain in my shoulder will be gone. This means for those of you who are suffering with chronic illness or chronic pain, and there are many to varying degrees, it means that you will finally feel the way that you're supposed to. This means for those of you who have been battling disease, that you will never have to battle disease again. And the list goes on. You will have a perfect resurrection body. In 1 Corinthians 15, 52, Paul says, in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised, imperishable, and we shall be changed. Because Jesus rose, we will too. The second implication is that Jesus rose as the judge. When the apostles preached about the resurrection of Jesus, they connected it to our resurrection of the dead. And throughout the Bible, our resurrection of the dead is connected to the last day or judgment day. People aren't raised from the dead to immediately go to their eternal destiny in heaven or in hell. The resurrection of the dead is directly connected to the day of judgment. People rise from the dead to stand before a judge who then will determine their eternal destiny. This was the message of Paul in Acts chapter 17 to a bunch of people who didn't know really anything about God in Athens. This is what he said in verse 30. He said, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some have mocked, but others said, we will hear you again about this. So there's a connection in Paul's mind as he preaches the good news of Jesus. There's a connection between the resurrection of the dead for all people and the day of judgment and the resurrection of Jesus and what kind of assurances that gives for that day. And he gives at least three assurances just right here by way of observation. The resurrection of Jesus gives us an assurance that judgment will happen. <laughs> Jesus rose from the dead. We will too. We rise to a day of judgment. Secondly, the resurrection of Jesus gives an assurance that God has appointed Jesus to be the judge. That's why he says, a man whom he has appointed will be the judge of the world. That's Jesus. And thirdly, the resurrection gives us an assurance that Jesus is righteous. He's judging in righteousness by a man 
whom he's appointed. And if Jesus is righteous, the implication is that his judgments will be righteous. Jesus rose as the righteous judge. He himself teaches this about his role. All the way back in John chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, he says, For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. And likewise, in verse 25 of chapter 5, Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and all those who hear will live. And for the Father has life in himself, so he's granted the Son to have life in himself and has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this. For an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. So resurrection from the dead leads to a moment of judgment, which then goes to life or eternal judgment. Jesus has the authority to be that judge, and that is a sobering reality. And depending upon where you stand, that might be a cause for great fear. Or it might be a cause for some really good news. And here is the good news. The good news that we talked about last week and the week before, and if you haven't had a chance, if you missed those or haven't had a chance to listen to them, I want to encourage you to go back because all of these messages are functioning in conjunction with each other in this series. The good news is that we talked about is that justice will be served. And that's good. God in his holiness, his purity, his perfection. God in his righteousness, which is the expression of that holiness to the beings around him. Those characteristics are inextricably linked from each other, as is God's Justice, his upholding all things in their right place. This justice will be satisfied completely. And friends, you want justice to be served. You do. You want things to be in their right place. You do not want the wicked to win. We all want true, godly, perfect justice. And it's good news here Because in Jesus, as we talked about last week, for those who put their faith in him, not only will justice be served, but justice has already been served. Jesus' work on the cross when he came to die for us removes guilt from us and satisfies the penalty of God's wrath against us for everybody who puts their faith in him. This is not applied or accomplished for those that do not put their faith in him. It is reserved, as he says, for those who trust him, who follow him, who put their faith in him. He is the judge who seeks justice, but he is also the judge who satisfies that justice. So the risen Christ Jesus forgives. He offers new life under his reign as God's new king. Justice has been served. 
Romans 4.25 tells us this, that Jesus' resurrection is for the sake of justice. It says, Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses and raised up for our justification. The judge is also the justifier for those who believe. Thanks, Pastor Nick. You're listening to A Better Word with Dr. Nick Gatsky. Speaking of him, I'm bringing him back here in the studio today as, of course, we would be grateful for your donations. And this month, we have a special offer for you with your gift to A Better Word. And it deals with, I think, something that can be an antidote to a real common thing in our lives today. So often, people are trying to sell us ideas about self-help and improving your life. We got something better. Yeah. And I think that so many people, myself included, we want to continue to grow, right? We want a better life. We want to do things better than we did them last year. We want to improve in many ways. And so that desire is a great desire. So many of the contemporary self-help books don't actually get to the core of the issue, nor help us with anything in a substantive or long-term type of way. This book, Living Life Backward by David Gibson, actually gives us some biblical wisdom that's very contemporary in its thrust about how to live a better life in light of the Lord himself and the end of our life. And in that way, it is immensely encouraging and helpful. Would you like a copy of David Gibson's book, Living Life Backward, How Ecclesiastes Teaches Us to Live in Light of the End? All you have to do is go right now to abetterword.org. That's abetterword.org. And with your gift this month to our ministry, we'll send you a copy of the book. A Better Word is a teaching ministry of and is sponsored by Old North Church of Canfield, Ohio.